This is Lori Forster, the wine coach with The Sipping Point, and we're back with Tim Hanai. He's a master of wine and internationally recognized as an expert, professionally trained also as a chef. Wow, he can do it all. He is the author of a new book called Why You Like the Wines You Like and one of two Americans to first earn that title of Master of Wine. So he knows his stuff. He's now recognized for his venotyping theory, really helping us wine drinkers be more confident about why we like certain wines and what our personal preference is. Welcome to the show, Tim Hanai. Thank you, Lori. Great to be here. Well, I'm really excited. You know, one, I love that you have both sides of it, right? You have the master of wine, which is, you know, guru wine status. And then on the other hand, you're also a chef. Do you think that gives you kind of a unique perspective? Uh, not necessarily. You know, most most people who are, you know, who really dig wine, dig food and cuisine. But um, it, it did give me... A, a very uh, deep background in the classics and, and traditions, mm-hmm. and then later, you know, becoming kind of a, a, a guru of wine and food, if you will, that I've, I've long since gotten over. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I saw on your site that they called you a pot stirrer, and we mean this in more than one way, of course. You know, you love food and love to cook, but your book, Why You Like the Wines You Like, is might ruffle a couple of feathers in the whole establishment of the wine world. I think that's why I like you so much because you are. I love it. You're challenging. Troublemakers bond together. We do. You are challenging the old thought and and way of um, approaching the wine world that it used to be that you know dry wines are the serious wines and sweet wines are for people who don't know anything about wine. And you assert that that is not the case at all, that we really have to change the way we're thinking. So fill us in on why that is a total misconception. Well, you know, going back to the earlier part, yes, I am a a master of wine and sit on the board of the Institute of Masters of Wine in London, and I'm a a chef. So my background, most, most, it's important to recognize, is very, very, quote, unquote, traditional and classical. Mm -hmm. But as I became more and more... ensconced in the paradigm of pairing wine and the food, the more things just didn't match up. So, for example, if you look uh, prior to the 50s or, or 1960s, there was no wine and food matching per se. Right. And, and even we can find evidence that if somebody was at a, a grand banquet and the roast came out, it was just as appropriate to have Chateau Echem which is a very sweet, what mm-hmm. we would now consider a dessert wine, or the Lafitte Rothschild or whatever. But it was all about the guest got the choice. And you could have sweet. And as a matter of fact, in France, in Italy, and throughout Europe, sweet wines were always favored and, and actually more expensive. So, so it, you know, the, the more I looked into this, I, I started to then look at, at the factors that, create our personal preferences, and then hence venotyping, but the physiology and the psychology of preferences. So that's what the book's about. Great. And you mentioned this term, venotyping. Uh, if you go to myvino, V-I-N-O, type.com, you can actually find out what your venotype is. But tell us what your venotype is, your wine personality, if you will. What, it's to it, it's actually the combination uh, it's it's very very much aligned with the definition of phenotype 
Okay. <clears throat> so it accounts for your genetics, which is your taste in general physiology, combined with your personality and adaptations that people make over time. Okay. So uh, when you go to myvenotype.com, right now you learn primarily about your sensory sensitivity quotient. And we're building this thing out. We've got our big Consumer Wine Awards in, in, uh, uh, happening next weekend. That's kind of the test kitchen for this. We're just trying to create a better way to get people to the wines they love without fear of recrimination and, <laughs> and you know, the, the dysfunction of the industry getting in the way. Right. So if your mom or you love white Zinfandel, you don't have to be embarrassed anymore. That's what you're telling us. Well, actually, and and you should you should actually go in the next time somebody sneers at you or sniffs or whatever, <laughs> just say, "Hey, look, you moron! I've got the most <laughs> taste buds. I'm sick and tired of this crap. This is about me, not about you." Love and it. that's actually what we're what I'm trying to accomplish is is a, a major revolution. Now, at the other side of it, there should be no recrimination if you love big, intense red wines or anything else. Mm-hmm. It's a celebration of the diversity of people and the diversity of wines from all over the world that we're actually losing because of, of what we call the tyranny of the minority that mm-hmm. are uh, subscribing to wine has to be red and intense and big and... And always and dry. Yeah, <laughs> and dry. <laughs> and well, let me ask you a question. If you go on, you find your venotype, and that's going to tell you what you prefer. Is there still a way in your theory and in your mind for people to appreciate wines that maybe aren't their natural preference? Well, it, this is this is a it, it's 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 actually called phenotypic plasticity. Mm. So there are are some people uh, that tend to be more in the the middle of the pack in terms of their their sensitivity mm-hmm. that can tolerate uh, to one extreme the the more intense wines, but they can also enjoy quite easily off dry wines or delicate dry white wines and so on. So we we identify four groups sweet who just simply love sweet wines and mm-hmm. there should be no embarrassment you should have them with your steak and this is you know the reason for the huge moscato explosion right now uh, the second group is what we call hypersensitive which is really really sensitive and they tend to prefer pinot grigios lighter delicate styled wines then we've got the sensitive which is the most um, uh, uh, malleable if you will towards red or white or whatever and then mm-hmm. at the other extreme is what we call the tolerant taster, which typically love the, the more intensity, the better. Okay. So you're going to fall into one of those, and people can check that out at myvenotype.com. If they want to pick up your book, Why You Like the Wines You Like, where, Tim, should they go to get the book? Because it, it's really a great book with all more things that we didn't even have time to talk about, like flavor balancing and so much more. Where should they go? Go to uh, my website, Tim Hanai, that's T-I-M-H-A-N-N-I.com. And there's a link to my book, plus lots of other information on the background and the research and all the stuff that went into it to, to really, really make an effort to, to completely change the paradigm uh, that wine is, is occupying right now. Well, thank you so much. Keep stirring that pot. I love it. <laughs> I will, will do it. <laughs> we'll eradicate wine snobbery someday soon. Tim Hanai, thank you so much for being on The Sipping Point. Absolutely a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Great to talk to you. Cheers. 
Discover the recipe for a delicious life each week on The Sipping Point with Lori Forster, the wine coach, each week, Saturdays at noon on WBAL 1090 AM or at WBAL.com. You're listening to The Sipping Point. This is Lori Forster, the wine coach, and we've come to my favorite segment every week. It's called The Wine Sandwich of the Week, where we sandwich delicious food in between sips of great wine. And I couldn't be more excited to have with me this week... From the Food Network, we have Melissa D'Arabian. She's the one that hosts $10 dinners, and you have four people and $10 and infinite possibilities. She's a New York Times bestselling author, and she won season five of the Next Food Network star and then debuted her show, as I mentioned, $10 dinners. Now she has a great cookbook out, and it's called $10 dinners, 140 recipes and tips to elevate simple, fresh meals any night of the week. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thanks so much for having me, Lori. This is really great. And I love that you really focus on the family. I'm a mom myself. All throughout the book, there's pictures of you and your family. And obviously, like us, you guys love the dinner table. Am I right? You know, I I always say to people, you know, if you're stressed out about getting everybody around the dinner table, pick some really simple recipes because the most important part about getting people around the dinner table is the people around the dinner table. Oh, that's so great. And it's so so true. We're big believers in that. We we really do try to have a sit-down dinner every night. I'm sure when the kids are teenagers, that'll become um, even more difficult, but... Um, it's a real priority for us. It's a real opportunity to connect and and to share about the day and to make make home really a safe a safe soft place for my kids to land. And a lot of that begins around the dinner table. That's so great. And I love. Um, I don't know if you know, but I'm married to a chef, <laughs> so I can be very intimidated to cook because I'm living with you know someone who knows way too much. But I love your book in that these are all things that are in addition to being affordable, easy to make. And don't require hours and days upon end, right? Well, you know, that's exactly right. Um, you know, and, and part of that's by design, but part of it is just by default on who I am. These are recipes that I make my family. Uh, this, you know, my test kitchen is my home kitchen. My staff are my four uh, young children. So these are recipes that I make. I, um, I literally cook with a a, a, a notebook, you know, ready and handy. And so when I make something, I race off to my office and jot it down and Perfect. then um, sit down to have dinner. So um, so a lot of it is just because these are recipes that I make my own family, um, which my kids love. They love seeing my recipes on TV. They're like, Mom, you know, those are <laughs> our crepes. You know, they're famous. So they, they love that. Well, speaking of famous, you've got some delicious famous recipes to share with us because – you know, in a week, it's going to be Easter and people are going to have their families descending upon them at their home and it can be stressful. But you were going to share with us some easy to make and things you could make ahead for an Easter brunch. And one of them is scones. So tell me a little bit about that. Oh, you know what? I, I love scones and people can be intimidated because they, you know, they sound British. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and that can be intimidating. Um, but the version that I make um, really relies on the fat of heavy cream to give it its tenderness. Okay. So um, that just makes them a super easy 
um, treat to pull together. And what's great about a scone is because you've got that fat in there, it's a great canvas for a lot of different flavor profiles. So sometimes I like to go a little bit fun. Like my kids love it when I do um, rosemary with uh, mini chocolate chips. Mm. And scones are a perfect place to kind of get a little bit creative. I love in scones thinking about combining an herb with something else. It's kind of okay. a fun place to do it, like basil and orange zest. Or if you don't want to go that route, you can go, you know, orange zest and white chocolate chips. You know, think about combining two things together into these scones, um, and the fat will really pull that all together. And what's great is you can make the scones up ahead of time, and you can even freeze them uncooked, just the dough, mm. and then just pop them in your oven and just add an extra minute or two. But, you know, even from start to finish, uh, the, the only tricky part to this recipe, really, honestly, is having the cream in your house. Right. So if you know you're going to have people over, have the cream in your house, and you can, from start to finish, you know, in 30 minutes, have fresh scones on your table, and they are a huge hit. They make people feel really special. Oh, I love it. And another one that you uh, had suggested to me, and I love the picture of your daughter eating this, and I hope I'm going to say <laughs> it right, is Croque Madame. Yes, you did. Oh, I love I, it. I, I like your French accent, and you'll <laughs> like it. You'll, you'll like this, too, because um, there's a, a, little, a little trick in here, which is soaking your shredded cheese in just a tiny bit of white wine. Ooh, um, it yum. really imparts uh, a, a very fancy flavor, and, you know, and, and the wine does evaporate, although if you, uh, you're uncomfortable with that with kids, you could always just have their cheese not have white wine in it. Right. Um, but it just makes it feel like such a fancy dish. And I will tell you, a croque madame is really it's a croque monsieur with an egg added. And a croque oh. monsieur, as a lot of people know, is almost like an open-faced grilled cheese sandwich, usually topped with um, a Mornay sauce, a Mornay sauce being a bechamel or white sauce mm -hmm. with cheese added. Um, and I will tell you that I make my croque madame with, uh, with a bechamel, with a Mornay sauce, except I discovered that by using sour cream and putting in just a little bit of mustard, I was getting about 90% of the great flavor for about 10% of the work. Oh, so, yes. Uh, so I will tell you, is it better with a Mornay sauce? Yes. And when I really want to pull out all the stops, I do a Mornay sauce, and that's not all that hard. But <laughs> using the sour cream trick plus the, the soaked cheese, mm. honestly, it is the fastest, easiest thing, and it's super impressive. So, um, so that's the, the version that I put in the book. Oh, I love that. And uh, speaking of the book, I, I have a question for you. And then we're going to give away one of one of your books, $10 Dinners. And so here's the question. What's the first wine you ever tried? Oh, gosh. La, 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 <laughs> Do you remember? You know, I don't. I don't know that I remember. I, you know, when I was in college, I studied over in France, and we were nice. over in the Loire Valley, so it's probably something from that area. Okay, so a wine from the Loire Valley. So the first person that emails me at laurie at thewinecoach.com, the first kind of wine that Melissa tried, which was from the Loire Valley, is going to get a free copy of your book, and it's called $10 Dinners. Where can folks get the book if they are not the winner? Where can they get their book so they can make all these delicious recipes for Easter? 
Amazon, bookstores everywhere, you know, Barnes and Noble, all of those, you know, and any, any, any great bookseller. <laughs> I love that. Well, that, that is a good sign of your book. It's everywhere. The other dish that I am looking forward to making is the Provencal tomatoes. So that's something um, I'm also going to have on the website so folks know to look for that in the book. But that looks like a pretty quick, easy little side that you can have available for any meal, including Easter, right? You know what? It works great for brunch, but for lunches, for dinners, and um, and it literally takes two or three minutes to put together, and it adds a nice pop of color to your plate. So um, a really great option for Easter. You know, low-stress entertaining. Whatever whatever you think you want to do, uh, you know, pull back a smidge because that's, um, uh, that's going to leave you open and available to be with your guests. Oh, I love it. You're my, my kind of gal, low stress, just have fun. This is Melissa D. Arabian from $10 Dinners, the TV show, and now the great cookbook as well. Thank you so much for being on The Sipping Point. Thanks for having me, Lori. All right, cheers.